Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. You today to, in fact, I want to congratulate you because if you've been with us since the beginning in the book of James, you have been long suffering. Okay, <laughs> James is one of those books. My friend David tells me that you know, James is a tough book, he's a tough pastor, isn't he? He's been very, very frank. You know, for some reason, I believe that James actually thinks that Christians are supposed to act differently than the rest of the world. Can you imagine that? I mean, he really believes that we're supposed to be different. You know, he talks about that we need to be doers of the word and not, and not hearers only. We, that we often play favorites with the rich. And actually, it's the rich that oppress you. Uh, that faith without works is done. Pastor Hal did a sermon on the taming the tongue. You know, it, it's been an interesting ride, hasn't it, for the first four chapters? Today, we're going to be talking about the fifth chapter. And we're going to be in, the, in, in chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And the topic of my uh, message today is called patient endurance. Patient endurance. I could have called it a couple of different things, but James wants us to be patient. He wants us to endure because there's something good that's happening. And it's like if you've endured the first four chapters, James is now rewarding you that you're in the fifth chapter because it's all good news. It's really all good news. Um, James has left the best for last. You know, uh, just last week, we started the fifth chapter, but I said, remember, that wasn't for you. Remember two weeks ago? We said, there's some condemnation that's about the rich, the evil rich. But if you notice, I, I called it to your attention, that in the first four chapters, James used the word brethren, brethren, people that belong to the faith, ten times. Um, but he didn't use it in the section last week because that wasn't for us. The idea was that he was, he, was he was pointing out the evil rich and saying there was a judgment that was coming. But you'll see today that these verses are definitely for us. So since they're for us, I want you to open your ears and open your heart and hear what James has to say because he's telling us there's something really, really good, but we need to be patient. So read along with me. James says this. He says, Therefore, be patient, brothers or brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended for the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. So as I said, this passage today, we want to open our ears because the Lord is speaking to us. James is addressing the brethren. As I said, he mentioned it 10 times before, and now in these passages today, he mentions it four more times. He wants to get our attention because he says there's something good that's coming, but we need to be patient. Again, my message today is entitled Patient Endurance. 
You know, last week we talked about the evil rich and that they had defrauded the laborers. But today we read again, he's talking about the brethren. Those who, now when he speaks of the brethren, I love the word brethren. You know, so often we change it to brothers and sisters. But there's a lot of words that we use for brothers and sisters, right? I mean, I just met with a couple of my fraternity brothers. We call them brothers, you know. My, my wife's sorority sisters, they're sisters, you know. Sometimes if you're in an organization, you call each other brother and sister. But brethren is reserved for people of faith. The Apostle Paul used the term brethren often. And when he talked about brethren, he talked about those people that believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah the Son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose again, and that he was coming back again. That was the brethren, the people that had this, this common faith. And this word brethren today is being used because we are of that common faith. Now, it's been 2,000 years since these words were written, right? But at the same time, we are still the, the brethren. We still believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. That's what we celebrated with Resurrection Sunday, and he's coming back again. You know, verse 7 today said, Therefore, might be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And that's actually the theme of this entire section of Scripture, is being patient for the coming of the Lord. And James is going to show us some examples. So we have to talk about two things in our talk today. And my message today, if you were preparing it like I was, you'd have to talk about two things. You'd have to talk about patience and what that means, and also touch on the coming of the Lord. First of all, let's go talk about patience. I think most of us would understand, or most of us would agree, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but most of us would agree that at certain times we could probably use a little bit more patience, right? You know, at one time I would raise my hand and say I was impatient, and not only that, that I didn't even think that patience was a virtue, because I didn't even like the people that were patient. But I try not to do that. And I do that with the help of the Lord who has reminded me that patience is not only a virtue, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. God wants us to be patient. God wants us to be patient. But I thought what I'd do is i take a look at patience from a secular point of view, outside of the Bible, and see what these brainy people that have these numbers behind or these letters behind their, their name, uh, what they said patience was. And I came up with a, a pretty interesting uh, a, a word for that. This is what they say. They say, patience is the state of endurance under difficult circumstances, as in perseverance, and or being able to wait for a long amount of time. There you go. Long amount of time without getting irritated or bored. I love that part, right? Waiting a long amount of time without getting irritated or bored. The ability to endure provocation without responding in a negative annoyance or anger. You see, this quality of patience from the secular point of view is always tied with time. There's no such thing as being patient without having the time clock, without some time passing, because you're not patient at all. You're just there for a, a moment. Now, the word patient in the Bible is an interesting Greek word. And I, and I took Greek, and my Greek isn't all that good, but I can pronounce this word as macrothamia. Macrothamia is actually two, want to say the word? I bet you can't. Macrothamia. See, it's not hard. Now you know Greek. Macrothamia. It's actually two different words. The word macro is a Greek word meaning long. And thamia has to do with feelings, particularly difficult feelings, anger, suffering. So in many of your Bibles, the word macrothamia is translated as long suffering. 
long-suffering. Now you see why James is telling us this, this message. He's telling us sometimes you need to be long-suffering. And he's tying this specifically with the coming of the Lord. Long-suffering. You know, it's interesting. I said that this word long-suffering is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And that's why I try to embrace it. I try not to reject this idea about being patient. I know I need to be patient. I need to be long-suffering because it's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is this. It says the fruit of the Spirit, this is uh, Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's that word macrothamia. We're also known as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You see how all of these actually work together, don't they? The Bible says there's actually one fruit. God is giving us the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit and it has all, it's like all of these are the ingredients in this one fruit. So we want to embrace long-suffering just because we want to embrace kindness. We want to embrace goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are all good things. They're, they're not only virtues, but they're the fruit of the Spirit. So while patience is a virtue to the secularist, to us it's a, a fruit of the Spirit. And James is saying this. He says he wants you to be patient, long-suffering, because there's something good that's coming. There's something really good that's coming. And that's why the, these fruit of the spirits are used because there's such a, something so good that's coming that James doesn't want us to miss it. And he wants us to be, to be patient. You know, when I, when I talk about patience, I've used a lot of different examples. And the best example I can give you now as a grandfather, and you'll like this, is babies. Okay? Babies are the opposite of patience. Okay? Uh, we've had our grandkids. We, yesterday we had our two grandkids over. Uh, they're, they're twin boys. They're like 15 months old now. I love having them over. But when they start getting irritated, when they are anything but patient, I say, you need your mother. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Where is your mother? We've had our granddaughter stay with us a couple times overnight. You know, in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, you hear this blood-curdling sound from the baby. I'm not going to imitate. If you thought I was going to imitate the sound of a baby, shame on you, okay? I'm not going to do that. So, but you know what the sound is, this blood-curdling sound, right? And you're, it's, it, you're, it, you're woken out of a sleep, and you're stepping on different toys, and you're trying to get to the baby because the baby is not patient, and the amount of time that you're going to try to get the bottle or change the poopy diaper or get the talcum powder or whatever it is, I mean, the baby is just screaming. I mean, there's no patience there at all. We, we, we stumble through the dark. I remember when my kids were little, they needed to be patient also. They weren't babies anymore. We'd be coming down to Disney. Remember? We remember driving someplace and the kids are asking, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And it's like, be patient, be patient, right? And, and they'd be bouncing around in the back. Do you remember a time when the kids didn't have these car seats and they weren't buckled in, no helmets, you know? How did we survive? We did. <laughs> we survived, right? But the kids would be bouncing around in the back, you know, because when are we going to get there? And we tell them this. We say, we're going to Magic Kingdom, okay? We're going to be patient because something really good is coming. That's what James is saying. James is saying, be patient. Be long-suffering. Something tremendous is coming, and that coming is the coming of the Lord. Now, James uses three examples in your scriptures. I love the three examples he gives. I couldn't have come up with better ones. He reminds us of the farmer, the prophets, and thirdly, he finally reminds us of Job. Now, the, James says the farmer waits until the early and the latter rains. If you know the scriptures at all, as soon as you see former and latter rains, your mind should go to the book of Job. 
because that's what Job talked about when he talked about the coming of the Lord. And since this whole message has to do with the coming of the Lord, I think it's appropriate to say, well, that's probably what the former and the latter rains are. Apologists or Christian theologians believe that the former and the latter rain, referring to, referring to us, this group of believers, the former rains were, or the early rains were at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and the full 120 people came down like tongues of fire and they started speaking in other tongues, amazing. You know, the, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came on. That's the early rains. The Bible says there's going to be a latter rain as well. A, a, a quickening of the Spirit happens right during the time when the Lord is coming back. We're not sure exactly how it's going to be manifested, but it's coming. And that's what James is saying. There's going to be a time, just like the farmers waiting for the early and the latter rains, you need to be, to be patient. I can see the connection. Now, secondly, the prophets are mentioned, okay? And if you know anything about the prophets, the prophets had this word of the Lord. It was very important for them to get the message out, but they were horribly horribly mistreated by kings, by the people they needed to minister to, uh, sometimes even by the religious leaders. They needed to suffer long. They needed to understand that the Lord had a job for them. They needed to suffer long, but there was a tremendous reward in being a prophet. But they needed to suffer long. They needed to get the truth of God out, even if it wasn't being received well by the people they were directed to. Here's the thing, we too have the word of the Lord. We have the Bible, we have the scriptures. We know that Jesus is Lord, we know that he's coming back again. Now some people will not want to hear the message that Jesus is coming back again. There are some people, God bless them, that tend to allegorize all of this and spiritualize all of it and say, well, maybe the Lord's already come back again. But Peter says this, he says, knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This is what James is referring to. We need to patiently endure. The message of the Lord's coming isn't real popular. In some churches, when people talk too much, or the pastor talks too much about the Lord coming back, people tend to walk away. The pastor's just talking about prophecy all the time. I talk about prophecy when the scriptures bring it up. I try not to bring it up too much when the scriptures don't bring it up. But James is saying that we too need to understand that scoffers will come. Sometimes the message we preach will not be received. We need to be patient. We need to be long-suffering. Now, the third thing that James brings up is Job. If you've read the book of Job, God bless you, it's 43 chapter, 42, 43, 43 chapters. Now, Job is, a, is, a, is an interesting character because he was an upright man, righteous in all of his ways, the Bible says. And if you read it, it seems like God points him out to the devil. <laughs> Satan is there and, and God kind of points him out and says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, thanks a lot. You know, I don't need that kind of attention. So Job, in the very first three chapters, loses Literally everything, everything. In the first three chapters, Job loses his livestock, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, all of his servants. He loses his sons and his daughters, and even his health. Finally, Job is sitting there, sitting in a pile of dust, scraping the sores off of his body. This is Job, and God brought, Job was a righteous man. But what, what James is telling us is don't pay attention to Job based on how he suffered, but how the Lord, it says, was very compassionate and merciful in the end. 
This is what it says in chapter 42. It says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. I personally don't know what I would do with 14,000 sheep. I've thought about it. I still don't know what I'd possibly do, okay? But the idea is this, is that Job was blessed so much. And then it says in verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years. Aha! I know what that is. Because it says that he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. You know, my kids were blessed to be able to see their great-grandparents, okay? My granddaughter was able to see her great-great-grandmother. What a wonderful, what a wonderful legacy to have. I understand what that is. That's being blessed in the latter much more than in the former. You see, God had a, a plan for Job. He knew there was an amazing blessing coming. He just needed to be patient. He needed to suffer along, and that's what James is telling us. James is telling us that the Lord is coming. We need to be long-suffering. Now, I know some people have said, well, we've been long-suffering for 2,000 years. No, you haven't. It's everybody's lifetime. In everybody's lifetime, since the time of Pentecost until today, you have one lifetime to wait for the coming of the Lord. James says, be patient. Be patient because the Lord is coming. And you're one lifetime. Just be, be patient. Now, this brings us to the second part. Remember, I said we had to talk about patience, but we also have to address the coming of the Lord. You know, it was interesting when I was putting this together. This last Wednesday, for those of you that are in our Bible studies, we have a Bible study here on Wednesdays. It's a lot of fun. It really is. We've been going through Bible Project, and I, I caught myself saying something that I hadn't planned to say. Sometimes we pastors do that. Something just comes out of our mouth, okay? Now, the difference is, is I can call it the Lord. The Lord must have said it, right? <laughs> you don't have sometimes that luxury, but I just, the Lord just prompted me. But I said something like this, and it ties in with what I want to say today. Sometimes, and I think it was because it was Resurrection Sunday last week, I said, you know, sometimes we hear this that the Jews got it wrong. Have you heard this? They thought Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, as a conquering king. They were waiting for somebody to throw off the shackles of the Romans, that he would come and sit on David's throne, but they were wrong. Jesus came as a suffering servant, right? They needed to read Isaiah 53. Um, you know, even Peter asked Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom? That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. You know, and we hear this comment, the Jews were wrong, but the problem with that is they weren't wrong. Jesus is coming as the conquering king. Jesus will fulfill all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. They just misunderstood that Jesus first came as the lamb before he came as the lion. They just misunderstood that because both of those scriptures were in there. And see, that's our problem too. Sometimes we misunderstand, and I think that's why people have difficulty with end-time prophecy because sometimes we read things that can be easily misunderstood. You know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a verse that I, that I wanted to, to read to you. Um, and it has to do with the second coming of the Lord. Zechariah wrote, they will look upon him who they have pierced. That's Zechariah 12.10. Well, you would understand that this, the Messiah had to suffer, but there were other scriptures as well. But all of the prophecies of Jesus' second com uh, first coming were fulfilled perfectly. 
Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He did come out of Egypt. For his robe, they did cast dice and they, they quartered him. I mean, all of those types of things happen exactly as they were prophesied. We have to understand that, that the Lord is coming back and we'll have to understand exactly how he comes back. Verse number nine says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, just lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the, the, the door. Remember I said the whole theme of these verses today was about the coming of the Lord. When it talks about the judge standing at the door is an indication we're talking about the second coming, that the Lord is coming to judge both the saint as well as the sinner. Um, grumbling, I'm reminded, I'm reminded when we hear grumbling of how the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. Remember that? The people of Israel had just come out of Egypt. They had just seen the Red Sea parted, and they started to grumble against Moses. But sometimes we misunderstand the actual meaning of this word grumble. The word translated to grumble actually means in Hebrew to, to sigh or to sigh inwardly or to kind of groan inwardly. It's, to, it's the same word that's used as to murmur to murmur against somebody. And you know, sometimes murmuring isn't so much verbally outspoken, it's kind of an internal feeling. It's a resentment that starts to build, uh, that, that you're, 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 you're fed up with what people are saying. You're, you're, you're having difficulty with, the, with the, the chosen course of action. James is reminding these believers to, brethren, not to be scoffers, that's what we just talked about. The scriptures tell us to be patient, and the people have to be patient, long-suffering for the coming of the Lord. So in closing, let me do this. I want to clear up a little bit of a misunderstanding so we often have. And I, you know, when I do this, I have to be very careful as if I know the scriptures perfectly. Nobody knows the scriptures perfectly. Nobody understands eschatology perfectly. All we can do is know in part. The Bible says we know in part, but eventually we'll know it perfectly. We know in part right now. But I do know this. There are many scriptures talking about the second coming of the Lord that seem to be different. So my understanding is just as the Jews didn't understand that Jesus would be coming both as a suffering servant as well as a conquering king, sometimes we have to understand the Lord is going to be coming back in, in stages. Just like the Jews, even though we had read the scriptures, sometimes we misunderstand that God will fulfill the scriptures exactly. God, and Jesus would sit on David's throne, rule the nations, that the borders of Israel will be established and all the nations of the earth would come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. That's what the Bible says. If we believe the Bible to be taken literally, then that will happen. To fully understand the second coming today, we have to embrace two realities. Just two. Two realities. The first is that all of the prophecies made to the descendants of Abraham people that we know as Jews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be fulfilled. God still has a plan for Israel. We need to understand that. The second reality is that God establishes his church, and God has a specific plan for the church. For example, in John 14, Jesus says this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, the scriptures tells us that in the last days, Jesus will actually return first for his church. 
the bride of Christ. And then secondly, Jesus will return physically with his church. So for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be changed, raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, there's two events that are spoken of in the end times, the coming of the Lord. The first word, the first one we refer to sometimes as the rapture. Now, some people don't like using that word. That's okay. You can use the Greek word. The Greek word is harpazo. Or you can use the transliteration of the word, which is to be caught up together. To be caught up together in the clouds. But it's called the rapture. The second is the physical return, the second coming of Christ. Now, as I said, just as the Jews misunderstood that Jesus was going to come twice, sometimes we misunderstand that his second coming is actually in these two phases. In the rapture, the Lord comes back for the church, the bride. The believers who meet the Lord in the air, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, we who are alive will be caught up together. That's that word harpazo, caught up together with them to be with the Lord in the air. However, at the second coming, when the Lord physically returns to the earth with the, at the end of the tribulation, he comes back with his church. For example, in Revelation chapter 19, it says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Also, we see, if we study the scriptures, we see that these two events, there's a period of time between them. The first one happens before the tribulation. The second physical coming of Jesus Christ happens after the tribulation. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into all of this today. I wish I could, but I don't have the time. The tribulation is a seven-year period. It's spoken of as Daniel's 70th week. The rapture, we believe, happens before the tribulation. We believers are actually the restrainers spoken of in 2 Thessalonians. Paul says, the one who restrains will be taken out of the way before the Antichrist is revealed. So I've said before that we Christians actually are restrainers. We restrain evil. Sometimes we don't do as good a job as we should, but we're definitely here to restrain the evilness. And Paul says the restrainer will be taken out before the Antichrist is revealed. Revelation chapter 19 says this. It says, then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf with the signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. You see, my friends, there's two different comings. One is talked about in the clouds. It's, it's a trumpet blows and we that are alive are changed and all the people that have dead, died in Christ are caught up together with us and we are with the Lord forever. The second coming is completely different. It's at the end of a long period of time and God comes back, and Jesus comes back on a horse to be able to vanquish the enemies that had raised against him. He talks about the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet. Two different events. James is telling us to be patient. Now when James is telling us to be patient, he's not telling us to be patient at the bank while we're waiting in line or to be patient while waiting at Publix, or to be patient waiting for your doctor to give you your latest test results. James is very specific when he talks about being patient, being long-suffering. He says that this is in reference to the second coming of the Lord. We live with the expectation that Jesus Christ could return at any time, at any time. That's our challenge in our lifetime, regardless of whether this was a lifetime in the second century AD or the 21st century. 
in our lifetime, we live with the expectation that Jesus is to come back at any time. That is, as a result, James is telling us we live a different life. We act differently than the rest of the people. James says, therefore, be patient, brothers or brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.